0: Welcome to the Nerd Party.
1: Hello, hello. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback, your favorite podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Charles Sheeland.
2: And I'm the other host, Asia Bonia. We're back again this week covering the fourth book of the Chronicles of Narnia, which is the famous Prince Caspian.
1: And I have to say this because I am on a work trip and therefore my recording is different. So if something goes super wonky, just know it's 100% my fault because I'm out of town. But back to our regularly scheduled programming, for anyone who is new to our podcast, we're a podcast on the Nerd Party Network, we're best friends, and we read and reread YA books from our adolescence, and we share these books with each other. We try to alternate between series that one of us has read and the other hasn't, and we're currently on my turn to reread. I've read The Chronicles of Narnia countless
2: times. And I'm reading them for the first time, which means I get to summarize the plot of the reading. So let's go ahead and dive right in. The four Pevensey children get called out of England back to Narnia a thousand years in the future, which, you know, is the same children from The Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. And the Narnia of their time is close to extinct, living and hiding underneath the rule of the Telmarine men and the current king, Mraz. That's I said that right. Yeah.
1: It's Miraz, but yes.
2: Close enough. Caspian, the true king, has left the court of Miraz and is waging a war against his uncle Miraz for the crown, but losing, so he uses Susan's horn, which calls the four siblings to his aid. After their journey to him and with the help of Aslan, they help put Caspian on the throne and put Narnia to rights. And that's pretty much it. And for my impressions of the book, I will say that this was my favorite book so far that we've read, which it's not that high of a compliment because honestly the last three books have kind of sucked. But I did genuinely enjoy it. I mainly liked the storytelling of like Prince Caspian's background. I don't know why I like that, but I enjoyed that part. And then it kind of lost me near the end. But overall I would say this was to me this was a little bit more interesting. I feel like for one, we got the return of characters we already met, which for me is important in a series, and it's something we haven't really gotten so far, so I liked that, but then we also got an introduction to another major character that I'm assuming is going to like play a role for the rest of the series, but that's pretty much my first impression.
1: Yeah, mine was that we don't get a whole lot of Caspian, which I knew that, but... I agree. I really love the Caspian's childhood section of the book. I've always enjoyed that, but we don't get like once Caspian leaves, he's kind of like not doing much. But it's fine because then it
2: focuses on the Pevensey children. I feel like
1: yeah, we'll definitely get more of Caspian in the next book, and I still really enjoy this. So yeah, so diving in. As we always have with these books, we go right into the action. The Pevensey kids are pulled right into Narnia, into a ruin which seems super familiar to them, and then they realize that they must be in Narnia.
2: And to me, it would just be awful to have had a whole life in Narnia and then have it ripped from you and to become a kid again, and then a year later now, you magically just appear in Narnia again And the castle you lived in for years and years is now in ruins and somehow hundreds of years have passed in Narnia, which honestly just seems pretty traumatizing. Maybe that's just me.
1: Well, it's fantasy, so obviously they're just happy to be there. I mean, they are sad that everyone they knew in Narnia is dead, but it's thrilling for them to be in their magic kingdom. But I totally take your point and I agree it would be pretty traumatizing. I mean, like I said... When we read Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it would be completely insane to, like, live, like, 15, 20 years and then go back to being a child. Like, insane. So,
2: But I think that's, like, because how you mentioned that after we read that book, I feel like that's one level of trauma and this is, like, a whole other level. Like, they're going to need even more therapy after this. Well,
1: for sure, because now they're, like, everyone they knew was dead. And their life is, like, of literal ruin. They're in the ruins of their old castle, care <laughs> paravel.
2: And more importantly, they're in the treasure room where they go ahead and retrieve their gifts from before, which I also noticed that Lucy just had, like, the cordial, which I thought she also got a dagger, but she doesn't talk about getting that back.
1: Well, she did get a dagger. You're absolutely right. That is part of her original gift. But battles are ugly when women fight in them. So it's probably just better if she's a female nurse, right? I guess. If For those of you who are listening, it's in that book when Lucy gets the knife that Santa Claus tells her that battles are ugly Freaking when women Santa fight Claus. Them. I'm not actually a sexist. <sighs> <laughs> well, Father Christmas. This is British. But yes, and... Lucy's gift will come up in the next book as well and I'm pretty sure they omit the dagger as well because again women shouldn't fight they should just be healers
2: or I guess archers like Susan like out of the actual fight like on the sidelines
1: yeah like she's a decorative archer Mm -hmm. and this is a perfect time to mention that Edmund does not have a gift and it was mentioned here again as I promised it would be I told you guys I would track it and it gets mentioned again I mean, it was organic in the context, but I still feel like I told you I would keep an eye on it. And here we are. So. Also, when they're in Care Parallel, this is one of the moments that really ties the books together, like for a series, because I know Asia has been saying that she hasn't felt connected as a series, which I understand her point. So I personally don't. I, it's not that I feel that him. it doesn't
2: connect to the series. It doesn't connect to the series for me to like enjoy it. I enjoy series because you're following a set of characters as they're growing and there's character development, which so far throughout the series, really like, okay, you can now argue, I guess we've gotten a little bit of character development from the Pevensey children. But the past three books, we've had different characters in every book. So that, that's what I was saying. It's not that it doesn't make it a series. Or, and if I did say that before, that's not what I meant. It's more so it's just that that's not what I enjoy about a series. I enjoy like connecting to the characters and it's hard to connect to characters when in each book we've read was different, which is why, like I said, I think I like this book more because we did have a return of old characters. So I got a little bit of that character development.
1: Well, I think that means you're probably going to like the next book the most because we're going to have a lot of returning characters. Also, well, that's me skipping way ahead to the end of the episode. But this is a moment where the series really connects because they're talking about the orchard. And so you know how they were eating all those. You know what I'm getting at, Asia, or no?
2: Uh, I think I know what you're going to talk about, but I just, I didn't know exactly. Just explain.
1: Okay. Well, they're eating all these apples from the orchard that's in Caraparevel. And Susan says that the orchard was planted the day before the ministers from Kalorman came. Which is a callback to the Horseman's Boy because Rabidash was the minister who came from Kilormen, and in the Horseman's Boy, Susan says the last nice day that she had was the day the moles planted the orchard for them, because after that she, you know, has this whole thing with Rabidash and like flirting and blah blah blah. blah. But like, there's a connective thread right there between those two books, and I really like that. Like for me, it's details like that that make it rich even though I totally understand and take your point of like, we don't get characters developing. We get the world continuing.
2: Yeah. It's the world continuing, which I guess for some people, I mean, we've talked about like world building and stuff. I think, yes, a world has been built, but because I mean, first of all, I'm not really that interested in the world to begin with. And then on top of that, I mean, it's similar to how you felt with the Skinjacker trilogy that we just covered. I feel like you weren't really interested in the world or what, was being presented, but you connect to the characters where I feel like I just haven't really had the opportunity to connect to the characters because most of the books have been setting up or they're happening at different periods of time with different people. So it hasn't been the same through line, which, like you're saying, in the next book, maybe I'll feel a little bit differently, but I think for me that automatically is something that I'm like, oh, I don't love it because this is not what I look for in a series when I read it. Like, it's just a personal preference. I totally agree. Well, this feels like a good time to mention Caspian and the story because the Pevensey children meet Trumkin the dwarf and he tells them the story of Caspian, which again, to me, this was the most interesting part of the book. I don't know why. Maybe I just like felt connected to Prince Caspian's character because we kind of got to see him, like, hear about him as a child. But he is one of the Tomoraine rulers of Narnia, Old Narnia is gone, which is when the Pevensey children ruled and there were talking beasts. And Miraz rules instead of Caspian, his uncle, rules instead of him. And now Caspian has joined the old Narnians and wants to bring back old Narnia. So they're going to fight against Miraz. And again, I was also thinking, though, we haven't really got an explanation to why human men are supposed to rule Narnia like that's still just something that I feel like hasn't been brought up and if it has and I missed it let me know Charles but I just feel like like why do like sons of Adam or daughters of Eve like why do they have to be the rulers of Narnia when like the animals can talk and like they're intelligent so it's not necessarily like humans have this big one-up on the animals
1: i told you i told you it bugs me i it's completely an arbitrary rule we've not gotten any explanation other than like maybe like aslan says narnia is never right unless it's ruled by a man and then all the characters are like narnia is never right unless it's ruled by a man and i totally agree it's i told you it would annoy us both and i was right Hmm.
2: interesting concept I don't know, it just makes me... No, I was thinking of... just makes me think of... I mean, I know you, how you said, like, racism in the last book. I mean, it was very, like... It was about skin color, but, like, there could be something about that of, like... It's just this unsaid rule that, like, humans... I mean, and as we've seen, like, primarily white humans are supposed to rule Narnia while the animals, even though they can speak and talk and have intelligence, are automatically deemed, like, second class. I don't know. Just...
1: There might be something there. Get you thinking. I I mean, you know, we've kind of been talking about this, like with the sexism and the racism accusations so far, it's been, and correct me if I'm wrong, Asia, but it hasn't really felt like it was necessarily racist or sexist. It's been very of the time. Oh, yeah. I don't think that C.S. Lewis thinks that like women are bad. I just think that he was a man writing in the 1950s and therefore like.
2: I already said that I think he was honestly probably progressive for the time, giving, first of all, giving female characters even speaking parts and also letting Susan have a bow and arrow, letting Lucy even be the nurse and, like, talk. Like, to me, like, that alone, I would assume, was kind of ahead of the times.
1: Also, Lucy is, like, kind of, like, the best Pevensey. Like, I mean, again, she's probably, like, the best Christian in the imagery. But, like, in terms of, like, in terms of, like, kind people and like unconditionally like kind and self-giving that's lucy like she's the best example for all of them definitely but so anyway there might be something but i also personally just think that like maybe there's some like subtle don't be racist because you know animals can talk too (laughs) but like i don't really think it's that deep personally
2: oh no i don't think that that was c.s lewis's intention i just think it's an interesting image to think of like how we're saying To me, it relates to, like, racism, white supremacy of, you know, why is white better? There is no valid reason. That's all. It was just making me think of. Whereas the same thing here. There is no explained reason as to why the humans have to rule Narnia for it to be, like, in the best state. At least so far. There has not been an explanation that's been given. And I wouldn't be surprised if we never get one. It's just this this unexplained rule.
1: Well, they won't, you won't get one.
2: <laughs> exactly. You won't get one. So, anyway, so yes, like we said, that does bother me that there's not an explanation. But we have Caspian with the old Narnians, and as Caspian is meeting all of them, they say that they won't associate with ogres or hags because they supported the White Witch before... I'm assuming, and that Aslan wouldn't be their friend if they brought in that rabble, is a direct quote. And to me, it's interesting that it's promoting this idea of, again, you're bad for who you are and like not what you've done, especially because, like, we're saying this time period, it's been a thousand years since the Pevensey children have ruled, which, so add on, like, 20 more years to that of when the White Witch was ruling. So any of these creatures, I mean... (laughs) We haven't really learned about Lifespan, but I'm assuming that none of these people who were alive back then are still alive. So these are just ogres and hags. They never met the White Witch. They're not with her. But the assumption is that they're just bad, which could just be because, you know, it's a children's book. You're just identifying these things are bad, like bad creatures. But again, with the Christian imagery of Which I guess like Charles says, I think I'm just maybe trying to take it a little bit too literally, but this idea of Christianity is supposed to have like more open arms to everyone and anybody can be a Christian and like you're always able to redeem yourself. Like you have to obviously show penance and like work, like work to be better. But whereas this to me, they're like, oh, well, we would never associate with this kind of person.
1: Yeah. I mean, I totally take your point. Like. It does kind of feel shallow to have creatures that are like innate or pure or like irredeemably evil i feel like it's a little unfair because like yeah none of these people were actual servants of the witch i do think that like i think that your point is probably correct that like it's a children's book so it's probably like these are undeniably evil characters. It's
2: just like, oh, make like these people because, bad. Like, yeah. Also
1: any child will like assume a werewolf is evil. Like, it's an it's a.
2: They have to, you know, read Twilight and change their have mind. Have to read
0: Harry
1: Potter and change their mind, but okay.
2: Harry Potter. There's a werewolf in Harry Potter.
1: Lupin is a werewolf. He's Harry's favorite teacher, and he's basically like.
2: God, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. So I think that you're... That's a minor point in the story. I'm just ignoring
1: you for not... If you keep doing this, we're going to have to read Harry Potter for the show.
2: Keep going with this story.
1: Exactly. So I take your point, but I think it probably boils down to... You tell a child,
0: hag, they think evil. You tell a child badger
1: and they think hufflepuff
2: good (laughs) they're like badger equals like the symbol of all things good i would think that's an animal i don't know i I would think hufflepuff
1: that's what i would have thought as a child anyway so i do want to say nickabrick wants to bring back the witch and I always thought that was crazy. Can we just so, talk like, about
2: for a second how funny of a name Nicobrick is? That's such a funny name. I giggled every time I read it.
0: <laughs> I thought,
2: Especially about for an evil cat. character, it's like, I'm Nicobrick. Like, he sounds like a sidekick or something to a superhero. <laughs> I don't know.
1: I thought about naming my cat Nicobrick if I had a male cat.
2: I mean, that could be an okay cat name.
1: I think it would be a good cat name. I mean, the problem is he's a villain. But... um I think it's actually kind of cute for a cat, Um, but I have a female
0: cat, so her name is not Nicobrick,
1: but I want to say, like, even when I read this as a child, I was like, is he stupid? I was like, the witch is dead, and also was definitely evil, and she did not treat dwarves well. Like, she literally whipped them. Like, we get scenes of her whipping her dwarf, and as a child, I was like, Nicobrick is a dumb little brick. Like, his plan makes no sense.
2: Well, again, how would they have known that when she lived a thousand years prior to when they're alive? And it doesn't sound like their history, books, or whatever they have is, like, that well-maintained.
1: Clearly. But either way, it was still a stupid plan.
2: Well, uh, Nicobrick was desperate, but he is no more, so.
1: Yeah. So this feels like a good time to mention that there were seven lords who sailed away when Miraz took over, so he kills off a lot of Caspian the Ninth's friends. But then Caspian the Ninth, so Caspian's dad, his most loyal and closest friends, there were seven of them, they sailed off because he like kind of challenged them to. And it just gets mentioned in this book. And I just wanted to mention it here because it is the whole plot of the next book. So I just wanted to mention that. Again, we've got some series connective tissue. It was... The plot of the next book is precursed in
0: this one.
2: That's a first.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, we can get back to Trumpkin. You didn't Ken. even laugh at also, my joke. I'm hilarious. This is a moment that whatever. I always giggle. <laughs> that was not even a joke. So this is a moment I always giggle. So Trumpkin tells them, like, the story. And then he's like... I need to get back to Caspian and tell him no help has come. Like, he says it out loud, and I always think that's so funny.
2: Wait, who says this?
1: Trumpkin. Remember, he's sitting with the Pevensies at Care Paravel, and he tells a story, and then he's like, well, it was nice meeting you, guys. I had to go tell Caspian the horn didn't work. And they're like, we're here. And he's like, "Your children. Yeah, and, like, and
2: I mean, that's to me a very... Logical reaction. They're little kids, and then they like prove their worth.
1: I'm not saying it's not illogical. I totally see it's logical, but I think it's funny as a reader because obviously you're like
2: we know who they are.
1: (laughs) Well, yes.
2: (laughs) Oh my goodness, you enjoy these books too much, and I'm just sitting here like "Mm, uh, I don't know. You're giggling
1: at Nickabrick.
2: I mean, it's a funny name.
1: Okay, if you say so.
2: But we should explain, though, exactly what we're talking about. Which So, Caspian has Susan's horn from The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, which, if you don't remember, like when she blows it or whenever whoever blows the horn, like help is supposed to come. So, by Caspian blowing the horn, that's what just sucked the Bevancy children back into Narnia because at the very beginning of the book, they're standing on their platform at the train station to go to school, to boarding school, and then all of a sudden they just like vanish into Narnia, which, you know, when the book starts, I'm like, okay, so, you know, we've just thrown all logic out of the window, which, I mean, we had said that before of like, they have no idea when they're going back to Narnia, but I really like the structure of that explanation that, you know, at the beginning you didn't know what was going on, but by midway through we had an explanation of why they just, like, it wasn't random that they just ended up in Narnia. So to me that was something like, that was well set up. And like I said before, this has definitely been my favorite book so far. I feel like I had moments where I was like, okay, like I get this. So like I'm on board, but it was more so in the first half, honestly.
1: Well, also, like you said, it's building on a plot device that we already have. We get Susan's horn introduced to us the in the in the previous book. So it's it feels like a good callback to have it come back and unlike the other times so this is gonna this thing we'll have to talk about at the end of the series because i really don't appreciate the i actually don't like the whole the tree from the ring from the core became the wardrobe and that's how they get through to narnia because it's not really how getting into narnia works it's kind of like when aslan wants it to happen so like magic tree becomes magic wardrobe really shouldn't work because again
2: like it's kind of unnecessary if he can just call them in whenever he wants
1: it would be one thing if the wardrobe worked on demand like but the wardrobe
2: yeah if it was like an actual portal that you could like turn on they
1: get through the first time it's just lucy the second time it's lucy and edmund and the third time it's all four of them and it never works again so i'm like that doesn't really feel like magic to me that feels like intentional you know
0: And here, like, it's very clear what's bringing them in. So, I take your point.
1: And so then they are, they have to toil back to Caspian, which goes badly, because obviously the landscape has changed over a thousand years. And then Lucy sees Aslan, but no one else does, so they go the wrong way.
2: Which, at this point, I was thinking that Susan and Peter, specifically, must not have full faith in aslan or at least lucy because after lucy says that aslan wants them to go up they both vote to go down instead of up which was the way aslan wanted lucy to go and lucy tells them this but they don't believe her which i found a little surprising but i i mean it has been a year since the last time they were in narnia but Edmund, like, makes this whole... like,
1: Edmund even reminds them. Yeah. Like, Edmund gives them... He makes a whole speech of, last time we doubted
2: Lucy, she was right. So, like, we should trust her. Like, give her the benefit of the doubt. And they were like... I mean, Susan was being kind of not (laughs) the best sister in this moment anyway, which, I guess, as you said, she was scared and tired and hungry. So, whatever. She was having a moment. But then Peter, I was surprised when he had the deciding vote because also the dwarf is with them and he doesn't believe in aslan at all so he's definitely not believing in anything lucy says so he voted to go down but peter ends up being the last vote because edmund votes to go with lucy and then peter's like he decides to go down like i don't know to me that didn't make sense character wise for him but like that was why my explanation must mean that he must be losing his faith like in aslan and christianity whatever for him to not do this when like they've literally been in a very similar situation where like Lucy was right and it was proven
1: you're and you're absolutely right
2: but because they couldn't because they couldn't see him, they weren't a hundred percent trusting of her
1: You're absolutely right and this that becomes later when they do follow Lucy, they can only see in the order of which they believe and Like, that is the... We were talking about this with Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I didn't have... I had an imperfect example, and you pointed it out, so I appreciate that. But this is a much better example of the Christian idea of seeing without believing. Which is not even a Christian idea. It's actually just, in my opinion, all religions.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: um, It's believing in a higher power without necessarily physical or visual proof. And that's kind of the whole point of faith no matter what your belief I mean, system
2: is it's really having faith
1: that's literally what it means so but this is a perfect example of it like they ha- they don't get proof until they believe they have to believe because Again, I don't think a child would necessarily get that Christian image, but it is this is the best example of it, I think, so far.
2: I think kids would be like, "Why can't they see Aslan? I don't They'd get like, it." And at the end, they're Aslan like, "Aslan is oh, a petty have...
1: little lion for being invisible." So rude. I
2: mean, that's what I was thinking reading it, but you know, I'm <laughs> a little cynical. I think because I was like, Aslan's kind of annoying. Like <laughs> he's kind of a bit much. Like he's kind of the needy friend who's like. If you don't believe in me, then I'm invisible to you. Like, I don't know. I have a point on that in a little bit.
1: Dang. Harsh critic for Jesus Christ.
2: Well, he is supposed to be Jesus Christ. And to me, Jesus Christ wouldn't be like, I'm going to be invisible to you when you're my friend.
1: Okay. Also, side note, Peter says that Lucy was his favorite sister. And I was like, um, are you allowed to pick favorite siblings? I don't think that's very Christian to me.
2: I mean, between Lucy and Susan, which, like we already said, Susan in this moment was not having the best day, Lucy would have also been my favorite sibling.
1: I mean, yeah, but he literally, like it says, like generally, Peter's favorite sibling is Lucy. He says
2: it to Lucy? You can't have a. He says it to Lucy?
1: No, he says it like it's a thought that we get of his.
2: Oh, well, he didn't say anything then. Everybody has a favorite sibling. I'm sure you have a favorite sibling. I only have one so I, do I don't have, have to pick. Sibling. But everyone has a favorite sibling. It's not like your children you have to like love equally. You can absolutely love a sibling more. The one that you connect with. I already know who your I favorite ha- is. I'm not going to say it because I'm not going to throw you under the bus like a that. Sibling. But I know.
1: I don't have a favorite sibling. I think
2: you're lying to yourself. I'm sure your siblings all have favorite siblings. That's just a reality. It That might be true. It's not about that you love one more than the other and you like wouldn't like do something for them, it's just the idea of you like one, you like you like somebody more, you like their personality. It's not like with your kids, how like you should love your kids equally and like not really have a favorite, but I feel like for your siblings, like it's, I feel like that's a very different relationship. I don't think that that's wrong to have a favorite sibling, it's just like a favorite friend, like a best friend versus a friend.
1: I think that you're wrong because you only have one sibling, I mean, maybe. I don't have a favorite sibling. I mean, obviously, like, I have siblings that I connect with more, but I love them all equally.
2: I'm, I'm not saying that you don't love them equally. I'm saying when I think of when you're saying, like, when he's saying you're my favorite, I think it's like you like, him, like, she, he likes her the most. Like, he likes her personality. Like, we're saying Lucy. Ultimately, that's not surprising. Lucy is the best sibling <laughs> out of all of them. She's the sweet little baby. Like, of course, she should be everybody's favorite. Everyone else, like, Peter, yeah, he's fine, but he's the oldest. Susan's kind of whiny. Edmund's literally the 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 villain in the first book with them. So, like, Lucy is, should be the favorite.
1: Are you saying that my your theory is that my little brother is my favorite sibling? Because he's the baby.
2: No. I'm not saying anything. I already know who your favorite would be. I don't know. I'm sure your whole family would know.
1: I don't think I have a favorite sibling. I'm sorry, siblings, if you hear this. I'm, if you do, though, text me in the group chat and, like, let me know who my favorite sibling is.
2: I just think, like I said, I understand, like, with your kids, you don't have a favorite kid. But, like, your siblings, some people hate their siblings, but whatever.
1: Well, okay, that's a different story. But I'm not estranged from any of my siblings.
2: It's not about being estranged. Again, I said it's it's liking one over the other. You know what, listeners? Let us know. Send us an email. Send us a DM. (laughs) Do you have a favorite sibling? sibling? I'll put a poll. I'll put a poll if you listen on Spotify to let us know. Do you have a favorite sibling? If you have (laughs) multiple siblings.
1: Chilling. This is a chilling episode of Throwback Paperback.
2: Anyway, back to the story. So here's my little note on Aslan feeling a little shady to me. Because so when all of the children are eventually able to see him because they start believing again, the dwarf What's his name again? Trump Trump? Trumpkin. Trumpkin. (laughs) It's gonna be like Truffle Puffkin. I don't know. You have me thinking Hufflepuff and Oh
1: my god, it's so close to Trump. Trump Republican.
2: Let's not talk it's about that. It's so
1: close to Trump Republican. It's Trumpkin. It's a trump It's Trumpkin.
2: So Trumpkin, like pumpkin, the dwarf, <laughs> he has talked the whole time how he doesn't believe in lines. You've never seen one before. How can you believe in something you don't see? So Aslan, I guess, reveals himself to this dwarf who doesn't believe in him. So obviously he has the power to do that. That's a whole nother story of why the kids let him let him manipulate them like that. But anyway, he reveals himself to the dwarf and he grabs the dwarf with his mouth and starts tossing him around in the air. And this dwarf has literally said, Trumpkin says, well, he's never seen a lion before, so he's obviously terrified, probably peeing himself right then and there, as being thrown into the air. And it just, to me, makes Aslan seem like such a bully. Like, Even if he knows he's not going to hurt him, the dwarf doesn't. So, like, that's still super traumatizing. Like, now, Trumpkin needs therapy, too. Like, just just keep adding to the list of people that Aslan is causing PTSD.
1: Our show would be a perfect show to be sponsored by, like, BetterHelp Online Therapy because we're constantly recommending therapy to people. We're constantly recommending therapy to characters. I
2: mean, mental health is very important, and I just don't think that Aslan is, like, benefiting their mental health at all. (laughs)
1: sorry he's I just a bully like, so funny i mean i think that this one never shook me because i grew up with cats and i'm just like i know cats attack each other out of love
2: okay but other cats like aslan also again you said aslan's literally supposed to be jesus christ if it was in the bible that jesus christ used his magical powers when he met non-believers and threw them around in the air and was like hee hee. like look at what i can do now do you believe in me do you think people would be so behind jesus they'd be like hail jesus like yes like praise the lord no i don't think so because he would be a bully
1: okay i guess fine sure well, anyway.
2: I think it's a valid point.
1: I personally think you're being a little sensitive about Aslan, but okay.
2: He's supposed to be Jesus. I think we should be holding Jesus up to higher standards. <laughs> Just if we were the kind of show that I think that we our... should have higher standards for our Lord and Savior, if, but...
1: If we were the kind of show that named our episodes, that would be the episode title. I think we should hold Jesus to a higher standard. <laughs> okay. <sighs> anyway. Back to the story. So, Nickabrick tries to summon the witch, but the good guys burst in. And then Peter kisses Truffle Hunter the Badger on the nose. And Lewis writes, It wasn't a girlish thing to do because he's the High King. And I was like, One, what's wrong with being girlish? And two, of course. Like, there's, I was like, This is the kind of thing where I was like, This is the 50s. Like, you didn't have to, because pr- if, you, I swear to God, if you read that right now, most children would be like, Okay, and.
2: I mean, it's yeah, like you said, it's the equivalent of no homo. And like he was kissing a badger. Like calm down. Like goodness.
1: Yeah, it was just like
2: men always thinking they have to prove something. He kissed a badger. That's like kissing your dog. Like I just I don't understand. <laughs> I did catch that and I was like, "What?" Like
1: no one, literally no one thought that Peter was being girlish. Like
2: I guess I mean, you know, babe, you know, back then I guess like being gay was a death sentence, so he had to make sure it was clear that, like...
1: Yeah, but, like, I mean, I guess, but I'm like, it's, you know...
2: It's a badger.
1: It's, <laughs> it's not a it's human, a and also, this would be the first time that Peter has been girlish. So, you know, I think he's allowed... If Susan's allowed to have a bow, Peter's allowed to kiss a male badger. You know, again, his subject. So, Peter then fights Miraz and wins. Then Miraz gets killed by Glozel, who's one of his own lords. Like, I don't think we mentioned this enough, but the big bad antagonist of this book literally gets stabbed by his own lieutenant and no one cares. Like, the whole reason they had this fight was to prevent a battle, and then a battle happens anyway.
2: I mean, I also didn't care, so I can understand why the characters <laughs> didn't care either. <laughs>
1: You heard it here first. Asia doesn't care about regicide.
2: I mean, he sucked anyway. Good riddance. So this battle that Charles just mentioned, it ends up being a short one anyway, because, you know, our Lord and Savior, Aslan, came and he woke up the trees, which are these, like, giant tree people, and they just come in and, like, pummel everyone, I guess. So he saved the day. Go, Aslan. Which I want to talk about this because in chapter 14, the second last chapter of the book, which whereas I was getting like, oh my God, is this thing over yet? Like, oh, I'm ready for it to be over. This is so boring. Aslan is literally just going around in this chapter like a parade, picking up good people and turning bad people into trees and pigs. Like, honestly, like it's like the pride parade of Jesus But he's recruiting the good people and the bad people are turned into plants and farm animals, I guess. I don't know. To me, it, like, read, like, a fever dream or, like, a weird acid trip. Like, because I was like, what's happening? Like, the previous chapter, we're talking about people fighting for their lives. The the regicide, the king getting murdered, and then Peter, like, fighting for his life. Everybody's fighting. And then the next chapter, it's just this lion, you know, strolling, skipping down the street, sprinkling rainbows everywhere for the good people and terrible things for the bad people. It was just a very crazy scene. And, like, I'm pretty sure I did see this movie, the, like, second Disney movie that was made. And, like, I don't remember this at all. And I was wondering, I don't know if Charles saw it, but, like, was it like this? in the movie because I feel like I would remember something like this. If there was some crazy acid trip in the middle of a Disney movie, I would remember. It's not
1: like that at all. It does happen in the movie, but it's not I think. It has to because the bridge has to come down. But it's not at all like this. Like, There's definitely no turning people into trees and pigs. I don't think.
2: I mean, it was a whole chapter.
1: Also, like... I
2: like, I feel like this is something that they we could have been told this like... They could have just arrived, and, like, Susan and Lucy could have been like, Aslan, like, turned all the bad people in a tree. Like, I didn't need to see it. I didn't need to be there with them while it was happening.
1: I like that you called it the pride parade of Jesus Christ. Like, it couldn't just be, like, a religious processional. It has to be a pride parade of... uh...
2: (laughs) I mean, how I was imagining it, like, he was literally casting rainbows out of his paws. Like... So that's what I was, like said, it was like drugs. Like we were on drugs in that chapter.
1: Yeah. I can't remember how it goes in the movie.
2: I was not on drugs while I was reading it. I just, that's what it, that's just what it seemed like when I read it. Well. Like C.S. Lewis was on drugs when he wrote it.
1: You know, that's a distinct possibility. If you want a Christian image, though, he does turn water into wine for the old nurse, so. That's quite literal.
2: Wasn't that like at the end of the chapter too? like it was just thrown in there?
1: It was thrown in. It, it was just thrown in at like, the oh, end and then it was Jesus like end of chapter
2: and I was like what was that? It was like he again, he was on drugs and he was like, "Oh wait, this is supposed to have Christian imagery. Let me make sure there's something really literal here so we don't <laughs> lose lose the perspective. Just in case you
1: forgot. In case you forgot, Aslan can turn water into wine. It's a miracle. Well, that's the ending of the book.
2: Anyway, this quick answer I have before we do the end is that for me, the best part of the series so far is so we have this character, Reaper Cheap, which I don't know if in your version of the books that you're reading, if it gives you a, the list of characters at the beginning of every book. Does it do that? Yeah. So every book I've been reading the list of characters, so I think there's going to be new people. It's the same people, but you know... You only get at the beginning. So the second time, I didn't necessarily remember. The third time, I still wasn't sure. This time, I finally was like, this is the same list every time, pretty much. And they always, there's this Reaper Cheaper, whatever. This is his first time actually appearing in a book. And he's this little mouse who's like eager to like fight, I guess, because mice can talk and they can sword fight, apparently. And. (laughs) During the battle, I mean, he gets muffed up, is all I'll say. Like, they carry him. He gets what? He gets muffed up with an M. (laughs) Messed up. He is... I was like,
1: are we being kosher? Okay.
2: He... They, like, have to carry him on, like, a stretcher, and he's bloody. I mean, it's a tiny stretcher, like... A popsicle stick. I don't know. And Lucy gives him the cordial, whatever, to, like, make him better. Like, she puts it on his wounds. But when he wakes up, he's missing his tail. And Aslan, again, being a bully, is like, well, you don't need your tail. Like, that's not necessary. And he's like, but my tail is, like, what gives me my honor. Like, that's what makes me a mouse. I mean, it is a bit dramatic, but still... (laughs) He's like, I, like, need my tail. And he's like, you can live without it. And his, like, he has a whole little cahoot of other mice. And the mice are like well if he's going out without his tail we're gonna cut all ours off too so they're all gonna be tailless mice because they're like i guess him having a tail makes him better than them like or puts him as a higher rank but i'm like but they all have tails i didn't fully understand what they're saying but basically it was really cute honestly because his little army of mice is like we'll cut all our tails off too in like to respect our leader and then Aslan's, okay, like, hold up a sec. No more cutting off tails. Here's your tail back. He just snaps his finger and his tail back. And I was like, Aslan, you couldn't have done that at the beginning? Like, when he said his tail is, like, his honor? Like, he literally like, the only thing that makes me a mouse is my tail. Like, I can't live without it. And he's like, you can live without it. You'll be fine. I don't know. To me, that was just the funniest exchange in the whole book. Like, I don't think anything will top that. Because I was like, what are we reading? This mouse, like, what? I just thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Reaper cheap best character. Aslan I'm still sucks. I'm crapping. I'm laughing. So
0: bad.
1: <laughs> I mean, Reaper is like one of the best characters, and you'll be very happy to know he's a main character in the next book.
2: Well, good. Um, I mean, he couldn't have been if he didn't have a tail. Apparently,
1: fun in fact. Arnold's mouth. Cheap, my sister dressed up as Ripcheep for Halloween once. <laughs> I have photos. I'd love
2: to see those photos.
1: Um Reep-a-cheep is truly the best character. Like he's so freaking hysterical. But and also I think you'll like him even more in the next book cuz he's a main character.
2: Well, um, I already love him. Best character in the book.
1: So, caspian is now the king and aslan says the telmarines can come back to our world because they're from our world because they're human and he sends the Pevenseys back to their world as proof that it basically it's safe to go through his magic gateway
2: okay wait i have another wait but i have to jump in here again because we're talking about humans have to rule narnia and they don't even originate from Narnia. So they're literally colonizers. Like, how is this not a theme that we have not discussed? Like, they're literally colonizer, colonizers, but they're the rightful okay, everyone, roll rulers. Roll the
1: tape. Roll the tape. Because first episode, I was like, Asia, Narnia is only right when it's ruled by a human. This is super weird. And she's like, I don't care.
2: I mean, I didn't care no. at the time, but the more we Book hear four, it. before
1: Asia's like, they're colonizers.
2: Well, I also didn't think, also I didn't have context of, okay, the Pevensey children could have, like, been special. I don't know. But now it's like the Telmarines were there, too. Like, the humans just come in and, like, take over.
1: And, fun fact, all remaining kings of Narnia are going to be descendants of Caspian.
2: Okay.
0: Anyway, moving on right along. So, like I said, Aslan sends... The Pevensies and the Conquerors back to Earth.
2: <laughs> like, where's Narnia supposed to exist? Like, it's in a whole other galaxy, like another universe, like a dimension. It's another, another
1: universe. universe. It's not another galaxy because galaxies are within our world.
2: Like, it's in another it's a universe, whole, another like dimension, a... the multiverse. Yeah, it's another universe. It's the multiverse.
1: <laughs> but multiverse is like.
2: Still it's the related same. To ours. Wait, what did you say?
1: A multiverse is still connected to ours. Um, this is like a fully other like like a multiple reality, like it's in a different completely different universe.
2: Okay.
0: <laughs>
1: anyway, it's still low fantasy listeners what's the difference between high fantasy and low fantasy do you know it we
2: know i don't let us
1: know since i'm not sure asia does (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna be shady and asia's like yeah i fully don't anyway this is a low fantasy series and we'll tell you what that means later on later on on. now asia
2: but i want to know right now
1: yeah because maybe some listeners want to reach out and if they get it right we want to reach out right now
2: pause and then they can see if they were right now tell us
1: Okay, low fantasy is when it takes place within our world. High fantasy is when it's a completely different world. So it, this is low fantasy because it takes place with our earth. Like obviously there's a fantastical world as well, but it's still grounded within our reality and therefore you have certain like rules that can't be broken or that are like inferred because it's our reality. Another example of low fantasy is Twilight or Harry Potter. You know, there's fantastical elements that come into it, but it's because it takes have place. Have we read art.
2: anything high fantasy? Have we? I sure hope not. No, because I would. We read anything? I would. I would have never made it. Like what you're describing sounds absolutely awful.
1: High fantasy is obviously when you're in a completely different universe the entire time. So something like like Lord are people
2: still people? Do people not have to be people? Like, or they can be people. They, they just... can be,
1: but it's not the same. Like, Lord of the Rings. You just... You don't have the same fundamental understanding of, like, geography because, or, like, religion because...
2: It's just totally made up.
1: Well, yeah. It's just a completely different plane. Like...
2: No, I, that's what I'm saying. It's totally made up. Like, it's completely fictional, whereas, like, fictional as in the whole world has been created. Whereas, like, you're saying for this, Narnia has been created, but... They come from London, like a place that we know and recognize. That, that, that's what I meant.
1: Yes. Anyway, so proving this is low fantasy, they go back to
2: London. Which I guess now we're at the end. But Aslan says that Peter and Susan will not be returning to Narnia. And they, Peter and Susan, tell this to Edmund and Lucy. Because the younger two, Edmund and Lucy, will be returning because I guess they're still young enough to go, whereas Peter and Susan, I guess, are close to becoming adults, so they can no longer go to Narnia, which feels like a ripoff since Lucy and Edmund get to go three times or however many, and Susan and Peter only got twice.
1: Yeah. I mean, it totally is. like. I I always thought it was a rip-off. Also, like I mean, as so you see, like Diggory and Jill. I mean, Diggory and Polly get like twelve hours. And
2: Jill? Who did you say? Jill,
1: she's a character in the sixth and seventh book. I'm jumping ahead. Oh, but Diggory and Polly get like twelve hours. All four Pevensey's get fifteen years, and then they get like a week, and then. In the next book, Edmund and Lucy will get, like, a couple months in Narnia. But, like, it's completely uneven who gets how much time. And this is, so like... Like you
2: said, it's all up to Aslan. That jerk. He <laughs> just makes decisions for It's everyone. moments
1: like this that really bring that theme, like, that Narnia is a teaching time. Like, you go to Narnia because you need to learn and grow. Once you've been and once you, have like, become an adult. You don't need to go back. You're ready for the rest of your adult life. But it, that's kind of where that, this scene is kind of where that theme of the story comes from. Like Peter and Lucy, Peter and Susan are now old enough. They're now mature. They're now ready to be better hu- adult humans. Personally, I still think it's- a- I
2: still think they'll need therapy for going to another universe, living an entire life. Returning to become children again, then going back, seeing where they lived for 15, 20 years of their imaginary life and everyone they know is dead. I still think they're going to need years of therapy (laughs) from that.
1: Yeah, no, it's a raw deal. I totally agree.
2: So then the very last line of the book is Edmund saying something about forgetting his new torch in Narnia. Which I'm sure, which I'm sure is some great joke, since, as Charles has mentioned multiple times, Edmund didn't get a gift the first time they were there, and now that he got something, he lost it. But I honestly have no idea what he's talking about. Like, what is this torch? So, Charles, can you please explain this?
1: Do you pay attention when you read the books? Because his torch. Honestly, gets Honestly,
2: no. My my attention goes in and out. Like I'm reading, and there's no way I'm going back. So. If I get like a page and a half and I'm like, I don't know what happened, I just keep going. I'm just powering through. It's not like we oh, well, have on to this. pay attention. That's why we're earlier. doing this together because I'll just be like, Charles, I missed this. What is that?
1: Okay, well, one. his torch is not a Narnian gift. It's a gift it a crisp. It was a birthday gift. And it was mentioned earlier in the book because like the very
2: it. beginning or Yes,
1: when they go to Paravel, because a torch is a British term for a flashlight
2: wait now i do remember it was like his because they said how there were no candles like they tried to light a torch with the fire but luckily he had his electric torch
1: yes which is a flashlight and they used it and then he left it in narnia
2: also is there electricity in narnia no okay so that's got to be some big thing or probably not it's just a joke
1: what it's just a joke that he left his his birthday gift A week old. So
2: not only did he get no gift before, the one gift he got later in life, he left that in Narnia. Never to be found Edmund
1: gets a raw deal, too. Well, I think you'll really... we
2: said, Lucy's the favorite, so Lucy's the only person who actually gets anything good because she's the true believer.
1: I think you'll like Edmund in the next book because he's kind of like...
2: I liked Edmund in this one. Yeah,
1: I mean, he's cute. He's
2: Honestly, I liked everybody except Susan. Susan was a little annoying in the, like, walking section, but then... I mean, I honestly wasn't that mad at her because, again, I don't trust Aslan, so I would be like, I don't trust him either. I don't trust some imaginary lion who doesn't show himself to us. So... Dark. I felt like she was getting... Like, she was starting to act a little bit annoying and, like, be rude, but I understood her, like, why are we trusting this imaginary lion? That's
1: all gonna... All those feelings, save them for book seven, okay? It'll come back.
2: I mean... The listeners should be happy because past couple episodes I've been pretty indifferent, and maybe you know we, I have a character to hate now, so I'll be invested. That's it for this book. So next week we'll be reading book five. Five. That's not, I said that. You weird. did say it book weird. Five. Numero cinco. The Voyage of the Don Treader. Which, you know, was the other Disney movie they made. I never saw that one, though, because I wasn't interested when it was only the two little kids. But maybe I'll enjoy the book. So if you're going to read along with us, go ahead and read the whole book for next week.
1: Yeah, we've done a lot of previewing for that one, this episode. So it's very closely related to Caspian. It's... Finally. So...
2: Maybe it'll actually feel like we're reading a series. Okay.
1: If you have predictions, theories, or questions or you want to answer one of the multiple questions we asked you during this episode, remember that you can stay in touch with us on the Nerd Party website. You just head over to nerdparty.com slash contact and select Throwback Paperback. That'll send us an email, and you can get in touch with the network at large on Twitter at NerdParty. or on Instagram at the NerdParty or Facebook.com slash nerdparty. And to find me, I'm at seashells on Instagram.
2: And I'm at asia.bonia on Instagram and TikTok. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends. And of course, check out the other podcasts on the Nerd Party Network and make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss us next week. And don't forget to vote in the poll of whether or not you have a favorite sibling. No lying. I know everyone out there has one. You don't have to say who, obviously, but just let us know that you have one.
1: Yes. Hit that subscribe. Have a good one. And you don't have a favorite sibling. It's totally fine because I don't. We'll see you next week.